Hey, good morning, Four Corners. We're glad you're here again. Let me just say welcome to Four Corners. Today's going to be a great day. We're kicking off a new series called Summer Break. We're going to take a look at what the summer looks like and how we can engage some spiritual things in the midst of all of the chaos that is summer. Um, It's great to be on stage. It's great to have the opportunity to share a stage with a guy like Pastor Ben. Um, Ben does an amazing job week in and week out of bringing the message with clarity and sharing the word of God and the message of Jesus with boldness. So it's an honor to be up here to be on the same stage that Ben's at. Would you guys do me a favor? I know Ben is going to watch this at some point. Would you guys just give Ben a round of applause? It's weird when he's up here for that to happen, but let Ben know how much you appreciate him. Hey, if you're like me, um, if I were to ask most of you how to describe how you feel right now, um, if you could put words into your general sense of life, I would bet that if I polled the audience, I would get one of two answers. I would bet that for most of you, the number one answer would be tired. And I would bet that a close second would probably be stressed. Is that accurate? Most of you guys are probably feeling tired, worn out, overworked, underslept, stressed out, and in need of rest. As I talk today, I'd like to give you an opportunity to find rest, but it may not look like what you expect. So I would love for you to go with me for the next few minutes as we talk about rest and we talk about this idea of summer break. Most of you have probably had an experience in the summertime that goes one of two ways. My first experience with summer was when I was in high school, and I was working at a video store, which just hearing those words come out of my mouth now makes me realize how old I am, because video stores don't even exist anymore. But I worked at a video store long before the days of Netflix or Redbox, when you actually went in, and just to let you know how old I feel, it wasn't even DVDs, it was VHS tapes, which really bumps it back a little bit to me. Um, But I worked at a video store. I had two and a half months of a cush job sitting on my butt watching movies for the summer. And I thought that it was great because I took a break and did absolutely nothing for two and a half months. And then football season started. And two-a-days hit. And I had done no exercise or preparation to get ready. I had been a bum. And holy cow, did I pay for it. Exercise, running, uh, were a complete shock to the system. I think I threw up more in those like two weeks of two days than I ever have in my whole life because I had done absolutely nothing that summer to get ready for what was ahead. Or maybe you've had the flip side of summer where you go on uh, summer break and school gets out and life slows down or changes because the kids are out of school and you've got every single weekend from now until Labor Day planned. You've got vacations happening, you've got family and friends coming into town, or you're going somewhere to visit family and friends. Your vacations have itineraries that have daily and hourly agendas on them. It's the type of summer that you feel like you need a vacation after vacation because you're exhausted. And you take two and a half to three months and try to squeeze everything in life that you possibly can into that time frame. And the kids go back to school in the fall And you are completely drained. You have parties because the kids go back. Because you want life to get back to normal. So how do we manage this idea of summer break? How do we live in 
a time when schedules change and things seem up in the air and we're tempted to do absolutely nothing or to do everything under the sun because we have a little bit of free time. Over the next few weeks, we're going to look at this idea of summer break. We're going to talk about what it looks like as the mid, in the middle of some schedules changing and some things changing in your life for a short period for you to engage something spiritual, to engage something eternal in the process as you have a break from the normal routine that you live during most of the school year. Today, I want to talk to you about community. And so we're going to be in and out of Matthew 26. I'd love for you to bookmark that or write it down. Um, We're going to be looking at enough verses in Matthew 26 that it's not going to be up on the screen behind me, but we're going to talk through the story of what's going on in Matthew 26. So in Matthew 26, we're going to pick it up where Jesus has just finished what is called the Last Supper. And he has had all of his disciples gathered together in an upper room, and they eat a meal, and Jesus institutes the idea of communion. And then afterwards, he says to his disciples, hey, one of you is going to betray me. And so a disciple named Judas gets up and runs away. Everybody knows that Judas is the one that's going to betray Jesus. Jesus gathers together what is now the 11 disciples, And he takes them to a place where Jesus went regularly called the Garden of Gethsemane. It was this garden outside of the city of Jerusalem where Jesus would go to pray. And so Jesus goes with the 11 disciples to the garden, and he grabs his three closest, uh, Peter, James, and John. And he takes them up to this place in the garden, and he leaves the other eight like at the edge of the garden. And they pray together. As they're praying, most of them fall asleep. And at some point in the night, while Jesus is praying and he's got his disciples with him, Judas comes back and shows up with an army of soldiers, and Jesus gets arrested. Now, on a practical level, if I was a disciple and I was following Jesus and an army of soldiers showed up and arrested Jesus and they were already talking about this idea of killing Jesus, the rational thought for me would be, If they're going to arrest him and kill him, they're probably going to arrest me and kill me as well. And so the disciples do what most people would do. They tuck tail and run. They disappear. Uh, Scripture says that the disciples dispersed. And so they all run away except for Peter. Now, most of you know who Peter is if you've been around church very long. Peter is the guy that everybody either loves or hates or likes to make fun of or likes to hold up as an icon of faith. Peter has... a a fine line between faith and stupidity that he tends to dance around a lot. Not you, Peter, sorry. (laughs) That he, he dances around that a lot. And sometimes he does things that look amazing in his faith. And other times he does the stupidest things because he's bold and he, he just steps out and his mouth starts running before his brain can catch up sometimes. So Peter doesn't run away with the rest of the disciples. He follows behind Jesus and the crowd. And so Jesus gets arrested. They take him to the house of a guy named Caiaphas, who is the high priest. Peter follows behind the crowd as Jesus is taken to the high priest's house. Peter finds himself sitting in the garden area of the high priest's home. It would be the equivalent of like hanging out on the back porch in today's times. And Peter's sitting there with the the security guards that have just arrested Jesus. And scripture says that he's sitting there basically waiting to find out what's going to happen to Jesus. Now, I want to pause just for a minute here because a lot of times we read this story and Peter is looked at as like 
man, he is, he's brave. He's like the one guy that managed to stay with Jesus while the rest of them ran away. And there's some sense of validity to that. But I'd like to look at the other side of the coin in the story of Peter as it goes on in Matthew 26. So follow this logic just for a minute, okay? Peter has chosen to separate himself from the physical presence of Jesus. He's following at a distance. He's not right there with Jesus. Although if he had chosen to, he probably could have stayed with Jesus and gotten arrested and would probably be right next to Jesus through the whole process. Not only has Peter separated himself from the physical presence of Jesus, but he's chosen not to hang out with the other disciples in a way that he's still with people that he knows he's safe and people that care about him and people that have the same vision. In the Bible, the physical representation of Jesus in today's world is the church. It's called the body of Christ, as Scripture describes it. And so you, you have the body of Christ physically then in the actual presence of Jesus and physically now in the life and existence of the church. The Bible talks about the idea of Christians together or followers of Jesus together as community or fellowship. And so then you have the community of the other would-be ten disciples as they're together after they've scattered and kind of reconvened somewhere else. And Peter chooses not to be with them. And so on a very practical level, as we look at this story, Peter has separated himself from the body of Christ and he separated himself from Christian community. And he finds himself sitting with a group of people that are basically the enemies in the story waiting to find out what's going to happen to Jesus. Some of you are on this path. Some of you have lived this. Some of you are headed this way if you don't take the time to turn around today. You've separated yourself from the church as the body of Christ and from community as the gathering of other people that follow Jesus. And you found yourself in a place you never wanted to be. And so the questions came for Peter. Hey, aren't you with Jesus? And the first time he said, no, I don't know the guy. And the second question came, hey, weren't you one of his followers? The second time, an oath, a little bit more uh, bold in his response. No, I don't, I don't know Jesus. The third time they said to Peter, hey, aren't you one of the followers of Jesus? We can tell by your accent. He was a southern Jew. And Peter cussed him out. He said, no, uh, emphatically, no, I don't know this guy. Some of you have been deceived to believe that there is a safe distance at which you can follow Jesus. You believe that you can stay far enough behind to see what might happen but not close enough that he has to infiltrate your life on a regular basis. You believe that you can hang back in case you need him, but he's really only an eternal safety net. And so you've separated yourself from community. You've separated yourself from church. And the question is not if, it's when will you deny Christ. Just like Peter, you don't want to be identified. You want to blend in. 
But sooner or later, the questions will come. Hey, don't you go to that church? Hey, aren't you a Christian? Don't you hang out with that group of people? The denial, the avoidance, it will come. Let me just tell you where this ends for a lot of you, because I've heard your story before. It usually starts with a phrase like this. I just kind of fell away from going to church or I kind of got out of the habit and stopped going or I just kind of stopped hanging out with my Christian friends. Let me just tell you, I have never in my life as a pastor heard someone start their story with those phrases and their story ends with this. And I'm closer to Jesus now than I ever was before. It doesn't happen. When you begin to separate yourself from church and separate yourself from community, you begin the steps of separating yourself from God. You need church and you need community. You weren't made to do this alone. Life is a team sport. For Peter... When he heard the rooster crow, he realized that he had done exactly what Jesus had told him he was going to in denying Christ three times. And so for Peter, when he heard the rooster crow, he immediately broke down and wept and went into repentance and this idea of actively saying, God, I'm sorry, and I'm going to stop the actions that I was doing here and turn towards you. That's what repentance looks like. He returned to community and he returned to the idea of following Jesus closely. Maybe today for some of you, you need to repent. You need to turn from the actions and behaviors that you've made, decisions that you've made to actively follow Jesus from a distance and not be involved in community and church. And you need to turn around and go a different direction. So with an open and heartfelt way, you need to say, God, I'm sorry for walking away. And I will re-engage community and church as a discipline in my life. But I have a feeling that some of you guys probably have some major baggage around a prayer like that. Because you've been involved in church, you've been around community long enough to be hurt You've opened up your heart and your life with a body of believers and you've been wounded in the process. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that the physical representation of Jesus here in this world doesn't always get it right. I'm sorry that that you've been hurt. But the reality is this. Church is made of messy and wounded and sinful people, and you're one of them on some level. It's not perfect. It's not neat. It's not clean because sin is ugly. Relationships are messy, but let, me hear, let you hear this loud and clear. Grace is always beautiful. 
So we're not perfect here at Four Corners. I think we're one of the best churches that you'll encounter in the country. But if you're around us long enough, you'll get your feelings hurt and we will disappoint you. Someone in your small group is going to say something stupid, either to your face or behind your back. Or they're just going to do something stupid that bothers you. Or Pastor Ben's going to say something from stage that you may not 100% agree with. So you have a choice. Will you go from church to church looking for perfection when you yourself are not? Or will you engage church and community with grace as a lifelong investment in a body of Christ? We genuinely hope that that's here at Four Corners. I believe with everything in me that you can engage church here at Four Corners, that you can invest your life, your resources, your time, and your relationships in a way that you will grow and you'll help other people grow. But if it's not here, find it. You need the body of Jesus in the church and the fellowship of the community of believers in your life. You were not made to do this alone. Life is a team sport. So a lot of you are listening to this, and I, I have a feeling that you're thinking, all right, Matt, I get this, but where's this idea of rest? Because it kind of sounds like you want me to do more in some way. Here's the thing. I don't want you to do more I want you to do different. Many of you are here today and you're stressed out, you're stretched thin, and you're tired. The most spiritual thing you could do right now is go home and take a nap because you're too tired to hear God speak clearly to your life, let alone obey him when he does. But you don't need a break. You need biblical rest. Matthew 11, Jesus puts it this way. You've probably seen it on a bumper sticker somewhere before as a Christian throws it on their car to try to make the world feel better. Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. And I would bet money that the bumper sticker ends there. It sounds great. Hey, you're tired, you're worn out. Jesus will help. You know, that's the Sunday school answer, right? That's what we're supposed to believe. But the quote from Jesus doesn't stop there. The very next line is, take my yoke upon you. You know what a yoke is, right? Not the yellow part of an egg, although that's confusing. No, a yoke is the big wooden piece that goes across the neck and shoulders of two oxen so that you put a wooden board across their shoulders and they're bound together so that two of them can do more work together than either one of them could separately. It's how the the farmer would attach the plow or the wagon or whatever the oxen were working with at that time. So Jesus says, yeah, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. And the very next words out of his mouth are, put the peace of work on 
Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. So Jesus invites the people that are worn out to follow him, to find rest in him. But he doesn't say to them, if you're tired and you're worn out, disengage. He doesn't say to them, if you're tired and worn out, take an extended break, pull back. No, he says, come to me, put on my yoke, let me lead you, and let's get to work. And as you do that, you'll find rest. It's work. It's active. It's engagement. But it's different. See, when we allow Jesus to pace us, when we allow him to yoke us in a way that he leads, things are different. We can find rest there. Here's the problem. I say the word rest, and I know how I think, and I'm pretty sure that I understand how you think, and I hear the word rest, and I think do nothing. That's what we want. We hear this idea of rest, and we want to veg out. We want to disconnect from life for an extended period of time, thinking that that will make life better, it will make life bearable, and it will make life easier when we re-engage it. The problem is this kind of rest is unhealthy and it's not biblical. This kind of rest comes from a cycle of over-engagement, stress, and then burnout. You run at an unhealthy pace, you crash, you disengage, you feel guilty, and you do it all over again. When you're in a cycle like that, it's easy to make some unhealthy habits in your life. And so the, the things like church and community are usually the first things to go. Sometimes you even talk yourself into a place where you believe that the very things like church and community that would feed your soul and give you rest are the things that you think cause the most stress in your life. So you disengage. You pull back. You follow from a distance. And when life slows down temporarily, because every once in a while, if you're lucky, it will, you lean in and you re-engage. And then life gets crazy again and you disappear. It seems like church and community are the first things to go and an ongoing list of priorities that are stressful. In reality, you don't have time not to make church and community a priority. You don't. Without these two things, everything else in your life is busyness. Calendared items on your schedule that happen over and over again that stress you out, drain you emotionally, physically, and spiritually, and leave you empty. You're not tired because you do too much. Most of you are tired because your priorities are not where they should be. I know I've been there. You haven't made time for the things that are really the most important in your life. And by the way, no, that's not your kid's baseball or soccer career. It's God 
fellowship, and family. The very things that would bring you peace and satisfaction and fulfillment are the things that the busyness of life drowns out. Ashley and I used to have this phrase that we would use with each other that cracks us up. It's, we use it sarcastically now because we realize how stupid it sounds. We would say to each other, hey, when life slows down, we should really do this. And sometimes it was serious, a, an area of life that we wanted to engage. Maybe it was a new hobby we wanted to pick up, something that we wanted to go experience or something we wanted to buy. But we realized pretty quickly as we would use that phrase that if you're anything like us, life doesn't just slow down. And so those things never got done. So we made a decision. We made a decision to elevate that which is important to us. To schedule our values. To plan our priorities. So we took the time to automate what was important to us. We got on our computers and got on our amazing Google calendars and we looked ahead And we began to schedule things with intentionality, like date night, like weekends off, like small group participation, like reoccurring conversations about budgets and money. It wasn't because we wanted to set it and forget it, like one of those Ronco infomercials. Although, man, I always wanted one of those beef jerky makers. I don't even like beef jerky, but that always looked cool to me. No, we did this because we realized that if we didn't make it a priority, the things that we thought were important would still never get done in life. In the Old Testament, there was this thing called the Sabbath as a reoccurring cycle of rest that Jesus instituted for his people. And so every Friday, the Jewish people would work harder than a normal day to get things ready for Saturday. They would cook extra food so that they had food to eat the next day. They would get the oil ready so that they had oil for their lamps and they had oil for heat. They would wash an extra set of clothes so that they had clothes to wear for the next day. They did everything that would be needed on Saturday, on Friday, so that Saturday could be a day of rest. But Saturday wasn't a day to do nothing. Saturday was a day to spend time intentionally with family, a day to refocus life, a day to intentionally be in the word of God. And they did it in a time that's a whole lot harder than ours. They woke up every morning wondering, at least knowing that they were going to go out that day and work to find the food that they were going to eat to provide for their family. They knew that if they didn't go to work, they didn't get paid because they got paid on a daily basis, not a weekly salary or monthly income. They knew that they had to go down to the well or the river to get their water. They knew that they had to shear the sheep, make the yarn, sew their own clothes, do their own laundry out where they actually had one of those scrub brushes, laundry boards, not probably at that time just rocks. They didn't have a washing machine. They didn't have a refrigerator. They didn't have electricity. They didn't have a microwave. They didn't have fast food. And yet in a time when life was a whole lot harder than we have it now, they made time to rest. We have it easy. 
and were more oblivious than ever to this rhythm of life called rest. Here's what I love about the Sabbath, though. The Sabbath day of rest in the Old Testament was not a reward for a long, hard week's worth of work that they just completed. The Sabbath day of rest in Scripture was a day to prepare so that their hearts and their minds were in the right place as they encountered God the following week. When's the last time that you rested as a way to prepare for life, not recover from it? When's the last time that your rest was planned and scheduled and not a response to exhaustion? You need to rest. At Four Corners, we think that church and community are really important around here. So much so that we think they should be a priority in your life. And so we do all that we can to help you schedule them out in a way that you can engage these two things. We meet here for church every Sunday morning, same bat time, same bat place, right here in this theater. We want you to come back. We want you to put church on your calendar and make it a priority in your life. We think that being a part of community through engaging small groups is a healthy thing for you to do, and we think it's a big deal. So we plan out our small groups in three semester cycles, and we put the nifty little catalogs on your seat like you got this morning, and we do simple online signups so that you can make the priority of being in community as easily as possible. Most of all, though, we believe that coming to church and engaging community through small groups can be a healthy rhythm of life where you can find rest. An opportunity to intentionally set aside some time in your life to prepare and refocus for life to get ahead of rather than trapped behind the things that regularly stress you out and run you down. Your life is too busy for church and community not to be a priority. You were not made to do this alone. Life is a team sport. So today, take some time to rest. Go home and take a nap. Go to bed a little bit earlier tonight. Get the sleep that you need to recover a little bit. But then spend some time with your family intentionally. Engage your relationship with God in a way that helps you refocus life and prepare for the week ahead. Throughout the coming week, take some time to look at your priorities. What are the things that regularly happen on your calendar as rhythms of life? Do they stress you out? Do they drain your time, your energy, and your spirit? And most of all, do they stop you from getting the rest that you so desperately need? What needs to change? Where do you need to make room for God and his community so that you can be healthy and resting instead of pushing those things aside?
So let's talk really practical here for just a minute. There's no better way for you to engage the priority of community than right here today. Schedule your values. Plan your priorities by choosing to join a small group. Engage community. At Four Corners, we have semester-based small groups, three semesters that last anywhere from eight to 13 weeks that go in the spring, summer, and fall with a small break in between. We offer connecting groups, which are small groups where you can get together in a social setting with other people from our church and get to know people. We offer learning groups where you can get together with other people from Four Corners and have an intentional Bible study, book study, or discussion around a spiritual topic. And we have serving groups where you can get together with family from Four Corners and practically serve side-by-side in our community through servant evangelism. Ultimately, our goal in small groups is that as you engage community, you would have these three things happen. The first is simple. In small groups, we get connected. Through time at a small group at Four Corners, we believe that people will find a friendly and caring community where you can connect. We can't force you to be friends with the people in your group, but we can invite you to a group of people that are friendly. We can't schedule your social calendar, but we can give you reoccurring opportunities to develop friendships with people that go to our church. And we believe that over time, as you engage this priority with an open heart and a friendly demeanor, you will find a connection to community where you have people that you can do life with. The second thing is that in small groups, we embrace seasons. Our groups are designed to embrace intentional seasons and rhythms of life. We know that there are some busy times For most families, that's at the end of the school year, at the beginning of the school year, and the holiday season. And so we design small groups around those seasons because we want people to actively engage small groups without stressing out in the busyness of life. We take a break. But those breaks aren't breaks to do nothing. Even in the middle of our breaks for small groups, it's rest. Our participants are taking time to re-engage family during transitional time periods when their family needs a little bit more of their time as kids are getting out of school, going back to school, or the holiday season when kids are home. It gives our participants time to prepare for the coming semester in an active way by praying and asking God, what kind of group do I need to be in next and where are you leading me? And it gives our leaders an opportunity to rest not in a break sort of way, but in a preparatory sort of way. So even now, in the middle of a break between small group semesters, our leaders are actively resting, but they're actively working, praying about what God wants them to lead. Our small group leadership team is actively praying for the semester that's about to start, getting the catalog ready behind the scenes, and working their butts off to make sure that God and everything that he wants to do in this coming semester is ready so that when you engage small groups, it can be successful for you. We believe that life comes in seasons, and we want to help you engage seasons of activity and seasons of rest and preparation in a healthy way, so we schedule our small groups around them. The third is that in small groups, we grow spiritually. 
we believe that regardless of the type of small group you're in, if you lend yourself to this discipline, you'll grow spiritually. So maybe it's getting together with a group of believers and having fellowship. Maybe it's intentionally getting together with a group of believers and reading through a book or a part of the Bible. Or maybe it's putting your faith in practice with some other people from Four Corners through a serving group. Wherever you're at in your relationship with Jesus, there's a next bold step for you through small groups that will help you grow spiritually. We believe that as you make community participation in your life a priority, that your heart will be softened to Jesus. And as you do that, you will grow spiritually. So I encourage you to join a small group today. Get connected. Embrace seasons. Grow spiritually. Elevate the priority of community in your life. In just a minute, I'll tell you how you can do that really easily. So it's summer break. Are you going to waste a few months doing nothing? Or are you going to cram everything else into an already overwhelmed schedule and burn yourself out? Maybe it's time you got some rest to prioritize, to schedule, and to plan, to be proactive about not letting life get ahead of you and getting the rest that you know you need to prepare. Your life is too busy for church and community not to be a part of your regular routine. You were not made to do this alone. Life is a team sport. So pull out your Connect card. Let's take a couple practical next bold steps together as we talk through this. For some of you, as you're you're hearing all of this today, the first thing that you need to do in, in this priority, in this idea of making church and community priority is saying, I want to follow Jesus. I want to make Jesus the leader and savior of my life for the very first time. So if that's you, just mark next bold step A. We'll be in touch with you this week to give you some practical steps as to what that looks like and where to go from here. For some of you, the next bold step that you need to do is next bold step B. Maybe you've disengaged church and community for too long and you need to say, I'm with Jesus. You can do that practically through a next bold step of getting baptized to publicly declare your faith in Christ. A lot of you need to do next bold step C. You need to look through the catalog that's in your seat. You need to find a small group and you need to write the number in the line because you need to make small groups and the community of Christ a priority in your life. And it's never going to happen on its own. You need to schedule your values and plan your priorities by joining a small group. For some of you, you need to think about next bold step D. I need to forgive some of the hurts in my past from my experience with church and community and commit to re-engage this priority in my life. You've been hurt. You have baggage from a previous church experience or maybe baggage from an experience here. But the bottom line is you need to forgive that and let it go and re-engage church and re-engage community because you are not made to do this alone. So the excuse you've made 
or the pain that you felt and you've said, I don't want to do that because I got hurt last time. Let it go. Come back to church and come back to community. Some of you need to take next bold step E. I need to elevate what's important in my life by elevating church and community and some intentional rest as a priority. And so over the next few weeks, I challenge you to mark this and I challenge you to take a look at your schedule. Prioritize your life in a way that you get the rest you need. But not rest as a disengagement of life. Rest as a preparation for all that God has in store for you. 